Welcome to the podcast of Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. Today's message was originally preached March 4th, 2012 by Gerald Schrock, and it is entitled, Staggering Knot. I believe God is bidding us to draw near to Him here this morning. He's bidding me. My aunt, who is a professional teacher, she teaches uh, special needs children. Uh, was she's she's a uh, has polio herself, and uh, has had it since she was six years old. She has a real heart for children. I remember just as being a youngster how that she would take us together at Christmas time and go through uh, Christmas dramas with us to get us ready for to give to the family, the larger family, and all kinds of things. Read stories to us, and she has a real knack of reading children's stories. Um, always was a very special aunt, and she had, growing up, she had one crutch on this side and one on this side, and this one's name was Jack, and this one's name was Jack, and what else was the other one? Forget, but anyways. Uh, if we did something wrong, uh, it, if we got a tap from Jack, it was one thing. If we got a tap from the other one, it was a little more serious. I remember that she was quite adept with those. But anyway, she was telling me a story how that as a younger teacher, she was, um, she was working with a, a, a young boy who just couldn't get his lessons done. Time after time, he wouldn't get them done. And she said, Johnny, I don't know what his name was. She said, Johnny, why aren't you getting your lessons done? She was finally exasperated, and uh, she felt like he was plenty bright to get his lessons done. And, and uh, Johnny was like, you know, he'd be staring out the window instead of doing his lessons. And finally, Johnny was like, uh, well, Miss Schrock, my mind's just so full. It's just so full of things going through there. There's so many things going through if your mind was as full as mine, you couldn't get your stuff done either. <laughs> and uh, Aunt Kathy, that brought the fire to the surface. She said, Johnny, she said, if that's the problem, well, I'll just have to help you empty your mind. And uh, I think that little session and Johnny was able to get focused. Um, the reason I tell that story, I feel just a little bit like Johnny this morning. We had a weekend that was just so full, so absolutely full in, in Georgia with the men's seminar. And I had a subject on my mind before, before that, well before that, and uh, it seemed like there were so many things that I could draw, so many different points I could draw from for that subject. I've tried to draw some of those in, and, and uh, God has nudged some of them out, and right now I feel like, uh, in a way, that I need God just to empty my mind. And you might pray for that and help me to stay focused on what's really important. Um, I guess uh, the, 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 less, uh, the, the message title will be Staggering Not, and that's taken from uh, last Sunday's Sunday School lesson. I'd like to, if you would open up your Bibles to Romans 4, verse, and we'll read uh, verses 19, 20, and 21. Romans 4. Speaking of Abraham here, we're, we're coming in on, on about Abraham and his faith. And uh, I was just impressed by this, this verse 20, especially. 
Uh, coming in at, at verse 19, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He wasn't weak in faith. He, he didn't consider his own body dead, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't consider it in the light of what God had promised him. In verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded, absolutely 100% persuaded, that what he had promised, what God has promised, he was also able to perform. And that, he said, God said was imputed to him for righteousness. Or God imputed or gave to him for righteousness that belief. He staggered not. And I had to think, what was it? That, that just really bugged me. What was there about Abraham that made so he didn't stagger? What, what kept him from falling over? Uh, and what is it that I can get from that that will make so that I won't stagger and that we won't stagger as a corporate body? I firmly believe we have a, a real battle going on today. And it was mentioned in one man raised in our seminar how that there's, there's this real tension going on in the Mennonite circles between different peoples and so forth. And uh, I thought on that a bit. There is a tension, but I don't believe it's necessarily about between different people so much. I think it's a battle. I'm going to write this here. battleground. You think that's right. If we look at here, we have God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit up above. We have man here in this circle. And we have man's spirit, his soul, and his body. Now if you put the battleground, where would you put it? Would you put it in his spirit, his soul, or his body? That could be debatable, probably. But I'm going to put it in a soul level trying to explain, articulate why. Down here we have the Satan, the world, and the cult. I, put, I think the cult maybe should be up above Satan, or up above, or up above Satan, between Satan and the world. But you see the little arrows going up and down there. And those signify influences. Influences that are fighting for the soul of man. And, uh, you know, when we, when we look at Mennonitedom, if you will, or Anabaptistdom, or Evangelicals, or people that are just trying to follow the Scripture, and that's where I'd like to put us all, people trying to follow the Scripture, the battle isn't for our culture, for our way of life, for our ethnicity. The battle's for our soul. And let's never confuse this battle with anything else. The battle the devil's fighting is for our soul. It's not for our way of life. Now that tags along. A way of life comes with a, with a uh, godly soul. On that chart there we have God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Beneath that we have man again, and then you have the Spirit. 
And as best I can, I want to describe how I understand that. The spirit is that thing within man that for maybe many percent of mankind lies dormant, is not alive, or is not vibrant. It lies dormant. It's like a seed in a bag or in a freezer. It's not doing anything. For much of mankind, I feel like it's that way. The soul is our mind, our will, our emotion, our conscience, our affection. And, and this is drawing from some of Bill Mullet's work. Um, our mind, soul, and affection, our conscience, how we, you know, what, what we, the way we approach life. Um, and that, that our soul's affected, I believe, by either the body, which comes below, or else it's affected by the spirit, which is from above. Now, this is a little more complicated than just a vertical line of, of um, influences. Uh, in that, I believe the spirit can also be brought to a form of satanic vibrancy. I think most people, most people's souls are, in a human sense, are directed by the, the lust of the flesh, by the desires of the body, the fulfillment of life, whatever they can get. I think that the soul is often directed from the part of the body or, or from the fleshly aspect, from the materialistic side of life. Um, but what becomes very dangerous if, is if the influences of Satan, the world, the occult moves up to the spirit and comes back down. But I don't want to overly complicate this picture. It's, this is, I'm trying to articulate as best I can understand. What is beautiful is if that spirit becomes alive, like it says in Romans 8, verse 10, for if when we were the enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be... Uh, I didn't get the right one here. That's in verse uh, chapter 5. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And Jesus, remember what he said to... Uh, when he spoke up there, uh, to the, I think he was speaking to the Pharisees and to the crowd, he says... And whosoever believeth on me, uh, I forget exactly how the verse goes. I didn't have time to look it up. But out of his, it says, in, but out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Um, and, and that's a spirit that's become alive. That's a spirit that, is be, that has become renewed by Christ. It's put into the fertile soil and it, it's allowed to grow and blossom and and. Uh, Bring forth, produce. Uh, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So we have this constant conflict that's going on. These influences moving up and down, moving up and down. And we're caught in the middle here. Our soul's caught in the middle. It's, it's the battleground. Which is it going to, which are we going to determine to listen to? What influences will we take in? The influences of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, 
coming from above or the influences of Satan in the world. Flesh and lust coming from below. And that all goes back to, again to the message title, Staggering Not. Staggering Not. If anyone had reason to stagger, Abraham reason, had reason to stagger at, at the promises of God. It says he didn't stagger through unbelief. He made a decision to believe. He was strong in the faith. He had faith. He was strong in his belief. And that belief gave glory to God. It brought God glory. It says giving glory to God. And I don't believe it means, I don't think it, what it's saying here, giving glory to God, that Abraham was all of a sudden praising, exalting God. I think he was. But I think more that this is saying that his belief and his faith brought glory to God through the way he moved forward and uh, kept walking steadily. And being fully persuaded, another attribute here of Abraham's, he's fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he, God, was able to perform. He was able to do. So what are the promises of God for us? God's promise to Abraham was that he'd be a father of many nations. What's God's promise to us? And how will he make us so that we're able to perform? John 15.1 says this, I'm the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, cuts it off, that it may bring forth more fruit. That's interesting. He cuts it off so it can bring more fruit. Now you are clean to the word which I've spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. And the, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye bear fruit of yourself except ye abide in me in Christ Jesus. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him. So he that abideth in me brings his sustenance from me, from Christ Jesus, and I in him, I give him that sustenance, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Very interesting verse there, a promise. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. I'd like to look at verse 7 here just a bit more. It's worth looking at, isn't it? It's a promise. As, and the way I understand this is, as we receive our nourishment from above, abiding in me, in Christ Jesus, from above, we can ask what we will because our will is coming from above, right? Is that right? We can ask what we will because our will is coming from above. Our spirit's in communication with God's spirit. And our soul is flooded by the will of God. 
So therefore, we can ask what we will, and God will perform. God will do his will. That sounds kind of idealistic. And I, but I think it's true. I think the more we understand it, the more we know it and live it, uh, the truer it comes in our lives. And you know, it's interesting because when our will is truly part of God's will, what we will is no longer what would please the flesh, what would bring us personal glory, but our will is, becomes what brings God glory. And so it's not easy for us to ask what we will or what. How should I say? It becomes not a, 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 a trivial thing to ask for our will any longer. Uh, or, or for the, it, we, we don't try to please the flesh any longer. And so that's where it ties in, I believe. Or that's where the secret is of we can ask what we will as we're tied into the vine. And here, and in that is my Father glorified, Jesus says. For what reason? So that you can be a superman? No. So that you can bear forth much fruit. So you can become fruitful. And like that, being like that, you'll be my disciples, Jesus says. In that, that you're bearing much fruit, you're connected to the vine, I'm giving you sustenance, uh, you'll be my disciples. And my Father will be glorified, just like Abraham glorified God through his staggering knot, through his um, faith and believing. There are several people in Bible people that didn't stagger that I'd like to look at. Joseph is one example of a person that didn't stagger. He's an extraordinary example. He didn't stagger when he was tempted and, you know, when he was imprisoned unfairly. Um, I'd like to, he didn't stagger when his, you know, earlier on, when his mean brothers exiled him. He didn't stagger in prison when all those ungodly, with all those ungodly influences around him. He didn't succumb to those temptations that would come with the very, very lowest of life. Joseph was a, a man, an example of a person focused on God in spite of all the unjust and terrible suffering he went through. And, and he didn't stagger even though he knew he didn't know that God had something much, much, much greater for him ahead. Uh, he had a great work for him, a great task for him. He was in an effect in a holding pattern. Uh, think of Moses out there in the desert. He didn't, he, he staggered a bit. He, he faltered a bit when God called him, but he went through. He lessened and obeyed, and in that sense, he didn't stagger. In another sense, I think, it even more significant that Joseph didn't stagger when he was faced with the temptation of, of nearly unlimited power over Egypt. He didn't let that go to his head. That's, in a sense, a greater, as great a manifestation of God's grace in his life as anything. He didn't stagger when faced with the perfect opportunity to repay the unkindness of his brothers with like repayment. He did test him a bit, 
but he certainly didn't do what it seemed what seemed to be the the uh, the just thing to do back to them, which could have been a many a many of assortment of punishments. And he didn't stagger in his vision. Think of how that he told his sons um, how that they. Uh, how that he wanted to be taken out of Egypt when that time came. He could have just moved into Egypt and said, my, this is a good place to be, a whole lot better than where I was at. That's great. You know, and lost that vision. But he didn't stagger in his vision that came from Jacob, that, that came from Abraham, that God wanted them to move along to become a people. That's pretty significant to me. Think of, think of Peter as well. He didn't stagger when he faced the Sanhedrin. And they, they told him, you know, now wait a minute here. You can, we're not going to punish you too much, but uh, we don't want you to go out there and be testifying again, okay? You just kind of hold this to yourself. As long as you just keep it low, it's going to be okay. We're not going to say anything. And Peter didn't stagger. He said, it's better to obey God rather than men. Just, you know, took it right back to them. Don't you think that's the case? And, and, uh, and then he said it as a statement. It's, obey, it's better to obey God rather than men. But Peter had staggered a bit before, hadn't he? He had fallen. Um, but that didn't keep him down. He got back up, moved ahead. And at this point of his spiritual journey, he wasn't staggering anymore. He believed. To think of the Apostle John when he's on the Isle of Patmos. Now all that he had gone through, I wish I'd had more time to look up these individual men and their, you know, what they'd gone through, the, the suffering they'd taken. But we do know that John had at least had a, a boiling bath, was put in a boiling bath of oil. And he suffered a lot of other things. Then he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And he's out there. He faced loneliness. He faced hardship out there. Probably hunger. And no doubt many other spiritual battles that were much greater. But he didn't stagger. He didn't give up. He didn't say, well, you know, it's just too hard. But instead he reveled in the promises of God. And not only that, but he, he gave us so much to look forward to. So he gave us such an insight into what God's revealed will is for us and for his return. A contrasting example is Balaam. Think about him a bit. He was a person that was a prophet of some sort. Uh, I don't know exactly what it, what it, I couldn't, I don't know if anyone can really quantify his relationship with God and say, you know, where he fit in. He was one of those somewhat mysterious figures like Melchizedek, for example, who was, of course, Melchizedek was a man of, of faith and he was a man that, uh, the Bible talks about in a very uh, respectful way. Balaam, not so. He staggered. Um, 
Yea, hath God said seemed to have been his mantra. Yea, hath God said, God, did you really say I couldn't go and meet with Balak? Did you really say I couldn't curse the Israelites? Let me ask God again. Let me just see what he'll say this time. You know, even though you'd give me a house full of treasure, do you really think that Balaam met, he, he um, you know, that that was the largest thing that could happen? Or do you think he was saying, you know, the treasure has to be really big before I'd really sell myself? Um, I'm reminded of Randy Alcorn's book there on, on treasure that we're talking about. He's, and uh, his point was is that everyone has a price. Um, do we have a price? Do Would we say, you know, if we're faced with a potential great return, uh, potential great gain, do we have a price that we say, well, if, you know, the, if the, even if it were a house full, but, you know, maybe if we're just a bit more than that, you know, is there... Any wig, do we leave any wiggle room for disobedience to God? I think Balaam did, even though the house is full of treasure. And then it seems like he said, is there, you know, to God, is there, is there really no way of taking some monetary reward for my potential influence? You know, Balak, Balak thinks a lot of me. He, he's, he's trying to get me to come over here. And he thinks a lot of me, isn't, God, isn't there some way, you know, maybe you're saying, God, you know, all my life I've lived in hardship. This is one, my one good chance to get a little bit, get a little bit of, you know, ahead. My one good chance is set up for my retirement. God, won't you let me just, you know, and, and he's, his, his story is a story full of, of compromise. It seems a story of the, the, the classic example of the soul battleground. You know, Will, did Balaam take his cues? Did he take his direction from above or did he take it from below? It's not hard for us to, to know where he took his direction from eventually. It was a story of compromise. I believe today we live in a, a society of, of Balaamism. A society of compromise. Give everyone just a little. Or give everyone a lot. Muddy the waters until there's no clarity. And there are no absolutes. And then muddy it a bit more. You know, it's, it's, uh, it really doesn't matter. Or, you know, like Balaam did. Just keep bending the will of God around until, you know, until it allows you a foot in the door. Of, of disobedience. You know, in, in theory, you could look at Balaam's story there and, and say, well, he was obedient. But in the spirit, he was not obedient. He, he moved ahead against God's will. If we really look at that story, he moved ahead against God's will. Especially at the last part where it leads to the fact that he advised the, the children of Balak or the people of Balak to how to um, weaken the Israelites by, by sending in prostitutes into their camp or by having them intermarry with the Israelis and, and therefore weaken that separation. It's a story of, of, of compromise, battle of the soul. And when that happens, the influences from below are winning. 
God gives a command. His command is clear. It's not a command that we can either choose to obey or disobey. We have been given a choice. But his command's clear. We make the choice. If we don't clearly follow the command, we're making a choice for not following the command. If our following is not according to the Spirit, then we're not following. Think of a, a song that was written. The lyrics go like this. To obey is better than sacrifice. Thinking of, of Saul sacrificing there and Eli coming to him. To obey, to obey is better than sacrifice. I don't need your money. I want your life. The second verse goes, to obey is better than sacrifice. I want hearts of gold, not your prayers of ice. God wants hearts of gold, not our prayers of ice. He doesn't care for our money or our sacrifice. He wants our hearts. He wants to make them hearts of gold. You know, to choose compromises is akin, and this is a crude example, but it's, it's to choose a disobedience from, from above. And it's the same as saying, you know, we're going, to let, we're going to let the vehicle, which is our body, our flesh, the body God gave us to move around this earth, we're going to let the vehicle be the boss. And, and let's just take that a bit further. Imagine putting that Mercedes or... Some of us are more like, you know, maybe, um, um, you know, older model Chevrolets or Fords or whatever. But anyways, um, and sometimes we feel like one and sometimes we feel like the other. But we're, we're vehicles that God, our bodies are vehicles that we're, you know, that's housing much, much more. And, and, and uh, you know, just think of taking a vehicle, putting it out on the road and saying, okay, it's boss. You know, or putting it in Atlanta somewhere or, or another city, you know, where there's six lanes of traffic. Okay, it's boss, just let it go. Well, you know what it does? It self-destructs. I mean, that's what it do. Of course, now that Google's got systems, that, you know, auto-navigator, auto-navigating systems, but still that, that it's being guided. It, the vehicle is not just doing its thing. It's, it's got to, it has to have direction. And, and when the body is let to choose, it will self-destruct. It will take itself down, and not only that, but take the spirit down and the soul down as well. The spirit will go dead and the soul will be lost. So how can we keep a steady step in our Christian walk? We're not talking about growing by leaps and bounds. We just want to stay, keep a steady step. At least that's what I want to do, and I believe that's what you want to do too. There's times we may be asked to walk in water. We don't want to falter when those times come around. Um, we, we just want to walk steady. Um, how do we keep a steady step in our Christian walk? First of all, strong in faith. Strong in the faith of Christ. I was reading the, I've been reading the story of Job. And I'm just so impressed, again, by, by Job's faith. He's just hanging in there. Um, first of all, you know, he loses his sons and daughters. Well, first of all, it starts out with his possessions, his cattle, his house, and the house falls on his sons and daughters. If I don't get the sequence exactly right, forgive that part. But anyways, you know how it goes. 
Um, and then it comes down to his own life. He's touched with illness, with horrible suffering. He's out there. He doesn't have morphine or any other medication to knock the pain. I don't know how many of you have had a boil, but just one boil is enough to knock me out. I mean, it's, they're terrible. Terrible pain. And if you've had... I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be covered with boils. It's just... But anyways, so here he is, you know, and I, I just imagine him being in a hot climate and, and sweating and, and, you know, rubbing himself, because he doesn't know better, rubbing himself with his pottery and trying to get some relief from that terrible pain. And then we have Job's three Grinches that come along, or three friends, it says, but we know they're not really friends, or they don't, maybe they're friends, you know, Probably they are. I mean, anyone that will sit with someone for seven days and not say anything and just sit there, it's got to be something more than an enemy at least. Uh, they, they were, they must have been friends. So they come, but I think, you know, they were manipulated. They come and instead of, of giving Job comfort and stepping in there and, and uh, you know, blessing him, they start out and they, they try to figure out somehow kind of a men's thing. They've got to figure out what's wrong with this thing so they can fix it. And that's how they go about it. One after the other it's, uh, goes about trying to show Job you know, what he has to do so this thing can be fixed. And they really talk out of turn because they really don't have any idea what's going on. <clears throat> and each of them is, is blasting away at Job. Surely there's got to be something uh, one of them even seems to concoct, you know, Job's wickedness, what he's done. And, and Job maintains his innocence. And, and God, God vindicates them for that later then. You know, through it all, Job said, you know, even though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Yet will I love him. Yet will I stick with him. I don't know what that means to you, but I, I find that pretty impressive. Yet, yet they slay me. You know, yet though everything go against me, everything part, and God disappear. You know, Job mentioned several, several times how that, if I could just know where God lives, I'd go to him and make my case. If I could just find him, if there were just some way to get to God, I would do it. And, you know, that, that possibility wasn't there, and he was in the dark, and his friends were telling him, you know, surely you must have done wickedness. Surely you must have done something terrible. That's a faith that will keep us from staggering. That's a faith that will keep us going even when um, it seems impossible. And that's the faith that will get, bring glory to God, that will glorify God. God was glorified through Job's patience, through his staying faithful. Look how Satan was defeated in that battle. God was glorified. What about us? Can we step out up? And can we step out on God's commands even when they go against conventional wisdom? Can we move toward the Red Sea even prior to it parting? 
David had doubts. And we can look at different parts of David's life. Some not so good, others much better. And although we see that he had a heart for God, he had a transparency before God. He had a willingness to, to fall before God and say, this is me. I want you. I want to stay close to you. I want that relationship to be restored again. There are other times that David was at his wit's end and he was you know, running from the enemies. He was doing what God told him to do. It was like, you know, why do the wicked, why are they blessed and we suffer and I suffer? Why do the wicked get blessed and the righteous men suffer? But he's, he, in it all, that it was the relationship with God that he valued the most and, and he, he stayed faithful. You know, is it wrong to question our faith? Is it wrong to ask God? Um, you know, Thomas did. Thomas said uh, when the when Jesus was resurrected, he, he didn't believe. He, he told the Lord, unless I see the scars in your hands and unless I see the, you know, the nail scars in your feet, I won't, I won't believe. And what was Jesus' response? I'm seeing it from memory, from my own memory. But Jesus said, you know, here they are. He showed them to Thomas and he said, here it is. But blessed are those, more blessed are those who can believe without seeing these scars. And I think that's so important. You know, belief is, is, a, is more than something that just happens to us. It, it's actually a step of faith in our part. And unless we take that step of faith, of recognizing God for who he is, and Jesus as a Savior, as a Savior and Lord, we're not really in a position to, to grow that faith or to, to have faith. It takes belief. It takes a determination on our part. And there's a battle going on for that very, very uh, essential ingredient. You know, that in our soul, there's a battle going on for that ingredient of faith. It doesn't have to be a huge faith. Jesus talks about the faith the size of a mustard seed. But we need it to grow. We need to grow it. We need our belief to come up behind it and support it and keep it going. Fully persuaded. I like to, oh my, I've gone over time already. Um, I'll try to bring this to a close. I'd like to look at a contrast here real quickly. King Agrippa and the Apostle Paul. And thinking of fully persuaded. King Agrippa heard the gospel. It got to his heart. And he said, almost persuadest thou me. But I think he was just like the rich young ruler. He knew what it would cost him. He knew what it would take. He looked ahead instead of looking right here and saying, I need salvation. I need to get it taken care of. You know, God would have given him the grace to move ahead had he done that. But he didn't. You look at the Apostle Paul. When the light hit him, he said, Who art thou? And Jesus told him who he is. And he said, What wilt thou have me to do? That's the response the Lord needs from us. Think of the Ethiopian eunuch. He knows what his, where his journey went after he said, this is what I want. Can, we be, can I be baptized? He knows where his journey went then. He didn't look that way. He said, this is what I want. He took it and moved ahead from there. There's a direct link between faith and obedience.
Our faith can't grow if we're not willing to obey. And far too often we hurt ourselves by letting this battle keep circling and circling in our soul. We're far too often, I find this tendency like Balaam to to not really decide, not really just to say, you know, this like Paul did, who art thou, what wilt thou have me to do? Instead to do the the compromise thing. When that happens, all, all that takes place is the battle just keeps on going. The civil war just keeps on causing more and more losses. Well, I want to bring this to the close. Paul's observation in Romans, uh, or in 2 Corinthians 12, like to read that yet. Second Corinthians twelve. Verses I'll start with verse seven. And unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And the Lord, or he said unto me, the Lord said unto him, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, for when the flesh is weak, when that influence coming from below is weak, then the influence is coming from above. Then am I strong. Then am I strong in Christ. From when I'm weak in the flesh, then am I strong in the spirit, in Christ's spirit. And that's where we want to be. Weak in the flesh, whether it's through infirmities or whether it's just through our willing, our soul willing that we'll receive the influences from above. And that's what I pray for us that will will our souls will will to give the power of our souls of our bodies our lives to that that influence from our spirit who communicates with God's spirit and I should finish it up by telling us that we are the sons of God isn't that the way it is God bless you all you've been listening to staggering knot a message by Gerald Schrock. This podcast is brought to you from the Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. You can find us online at BethelMennoniteOnline.org. Thanks for listening.